Hello. Hey. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of We Bought a Mic. I a, a pop culture podcast. Yeah. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And joining us is a very, very special, special, special guest, Mr. Colin Goody. How's hey, it going? what's up, guys? Hey, Colin. Colin, uh, if you are a diehard fan of the pod, you can remember him from the Cross Pod with the Snyder Colin p- podcast. Uh, and Colin, you you host a new a new little side project, don't you? Yeah. So uh, you know, not to make not to make any puns or anything, but I literally bought a microphone, you know, <laughs> much, much like you guys. Pretty clever, right? Yeah. So I bought this microphone to record music, and I was like, you know, I could probably just like use it to you know do like some quick movie reviews i even reviewed an album so i just made a new youtube channel called colin after hours nice nice yeah so you can find that on youtube and hopefully on podcast networks coming soon right maybe uh i'm no i'm probably just gonna keep this uh exclusively to youtube okay just for the time being uh, if you want to hear my shitty takes on movies then you know Okay. Colin After Hours. Colin After Hours and the Snyder Colin podcast, which is really, really taking the world by storm. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very notorious. Yeah. Yes. We just uh, we just uploaded our last podcast, and it has uh, it has an exclusive breaking story of Crispin Glover that you can only find on the Snyder Colin podcast. It Whoa. really, it really yeah. is a, an intense story that I did not see coming this about Crispin oh, Glover. This is the latest oh, episode you, where you discussed uh, Annihilation? Yeah, yeah. We have a breaking Crispin Glover news. You, you checked it out, Hunter? I did. Um, it was kind of uh, <laughs> baffling hearing that news. I need like yeah. somebody to fact check all of these things for me to make <laughs> sure that it was legit. All right, well, today on the yeah. show, we're going to be talking about Twin Peaks, all the way from the original series to the movie Firewalk With Me, and then the bulk of the pod is going to be devoted to talking about 2017's The Return. Um, I'm excited, guys. I'm really excited to talk about this. You know, you guys have had the opportunity to mull over this for about five to six months I've, I watched this fairly recently. I just caught up on it about a month ago. Um, but it's certainly a lot to take in. And it's certainly something... Yes, it, it definitely is. Yeah, it's certainly something that doesn't... You know, a lot of people were... With the way pop culture and like internet TV analysis goes, it's like people just want to jump on it immediately and like get those takes out there immediately and this is something that you (laughs) it's almost like defeating to try to do that with this show and yeah and i don't think that's how david lynch like intends to make this show is it's not a show about quick takes or anything like that it's much like other things in david lynch's repertoire it's kind of a piece of art that lives on its own and it it requires thought and it's very, uh, very thought provoking in that you really have to analyze what exactly is the message that he's trying to tell. Yeah. So, Colin, let's let's start with you. Talk a little bit about your relationship with David Lynch's work in general. Well, uh, I guess 
when I was about in middle school, that's when I started to get really into film because I had a uh, Netflix and everything. And eventually you come across David Lynch. But uh, as far as just Twin Peaks goes, uh, the first time I ever heard about it was I was maybe like 13, 14. And on a direct TV, they had this horror channel chiller and they go reruns of Twin Peaks. So I first found out about the TV series through a promo and the promo for the reruns was fucking awesome. Like they, they made it look so cool and really interesting. And I was like, what, I was like, what is this show? <laughs> so sometimes I would put it on. So eventually later in high school, I ended up uh, getting blue velvet in the mail from Netflix. And uh, I think that was my first David Lynch film I watched and I really loved it. And, I know Hunter's seen Blue Velvet. I'm I'm not sure about you, Ernest, but it was kind of like the blue the blueprint for Twin Peaks because it kind <laughs> of deals with the the same theme of like this small town and kind of like the sinister underbelly that it has, even though it seems to like picturesque and everything. How how long was there between Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks? Uh, well, Twin uh, Peaks came maybe out. Like- Five years or so. Five years. Yeah, I know Twin Peaks premiered in uh, 1990, I believe, 1991. Um, I'm not sure. Let me go ahead yeah. and look up real quick when Blue Velvet was released. But, um, Colin, you actually yeah, were the person. Like... Oh, sorry. Colin, you were actually the one who uh, introduced uh, David Lynch to me. Um, I don't know if you remember that. You showed me, I believe that Blue Velvet was also the first movie by David Lynch that I had also seen. And after that, I either watched Mulholland Drive or Eraserhead. Um, Eraserhead is one of my favorite films of all time. I really love all of David Lynch's work, but Eraserhead is like, I think the closest thing to a masterpiece, like just perfect in every single way, that movie. Um, And I feel the same way about Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I I really enjoyed all of his films. The only one that I didn't particularly care for was Inland Empire, but, you know, uh, I just love the way he can kind of, like, disturb you and mystify you, and I don't know, uh, just, you know, a credible auteur director. Yeah, I I am not as familiar with his work as you guys are. I have only seen Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive, but, oh, and Firewalk With Me, of course. Mm -hmm. Um but I do really appreciate him as an artist because I did get a chance to see David Lynch, the art life, which is a documentary about David Lynch that came out last year. Um, And the man is just one of the most unique creators alive, maybe of all time. Um, And his work is never has never been concerned with entertaining people. It's always just been about expressing the crazy shit that's in his head and trying to i guess say something about the darkness of america mm-hmm. and urban yeah, sprawl absolutely. and the american dream um and how we have this facade of happiness and perfection in this country that is just seeping and 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 uh just kind of caked with disgust and and darkness and i'm glad that you brought up the art life because one of the things that i love so much about the documentary and i highly recommend it to anybody who's listening who's a big david lynch fan check out david lynch the art life because that doc shows 
that David Lynch is first and foremost an artist and a director second, which is a very big thing that defines his personality and the work that he creates. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing that I love about David Lynch is that like when he's in interviews or anything, he seems so like down to earth and blue collar. He's just like, yeah, I'm from Montana. I was an Eagle scout. Now, uh, watch my movie. It's fucked up. Like, and it's just like, holy shit. And uh, I think you're right, Ernest. Like, darkness is kind of the key word but with the darkness uh he you know he tries to show a lot of like beauty with the uh with like the music and everything so it's not just like sick depraved like films just for the hell of it he's trying to also get like other emotions out of you as well you know and i think um the sense of humor is there too um less so with firewalk with me i think firewalk with me is a really dark and intense and moody film but with everything else that he makes he has this really strange and um kind of i i hate using this word but kind of quirky sense of humor um there's a there's really nothing like lynchian humor because the man is able to get across these really horrific unsettling images and then intercut them with really effective humor that doesn't feel out of place and it creates for this sort of vibe that is inherently unique and and original to him you know nobody can do what he does and i think that why why that humor is so effective is because especially in a show like we're going to talk about uh the humor with twin peaks the return but we have these really dark like art house image imagery that he shows and then intercut with like really wonky like almost slapstick humor sometimes that's just like it's so out of left field that it takes you by surprise and i understand why it would turn people off but it's hilarious it truly is hilarious colin so tell us about your relationship to the original twin peaks show let's start at the beginning all right so i got out of the way that i briefly kind of checked it out on tv and was like huh this seems interesting but uh i watched it uh the show streamed it on netflix when i was about 17 and like I said, I had seen Blue Velvet, so I was I kind of knew what to expect as far as David Lynch. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I watched the show and just kind of, you know, became, you know, kind of uh, overwhelmed by this world that was created with Twin Peaks. You know, just the mystery, uh, the memorable characters, the surreal and, like, uh, horrific, you know, scenes that happen with it. Uh, you know, in one of your episodes, Hunter was talking about Ex Machina, and he was like, he was like, yeah, it's like a movie that's made for me. I, I kind of feel that way for Twin Peaks. Like to me, watching it unfold, it was like this like fantastic dream. Like I couldn't believe there is this TV show from the 90s that was just like completely capturing my imagination. And, you know, I've, I've just been obsessed ever since. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a show unlike any other. And it's a show that's almost come to influence a lot of things that we kind of take for granted in TV now, the way TV is like cinematic now and tells like a whole serialized story and incorporates um, kind of sci-fi genre um, elements into itself. Uh, I don't think there was a show before uh, Twin Peaks other than maybe Star Trek that was going for all these big big ideas and doing them in such an original way i mean without twin peaks we wouldn't have uh i mean it led to x-files which led to lost which led to shows like the leftovers so i know 
you know, Damon Lindelof is a huge lynch head just based on watching some of these um, Twin Peaks episodes after having seen The Leftovers and Lost. It's like you watch some of these episodes of The Leftovers, like these really surreal, just out there concepts that only exist because Lindelof was inspired by the original Twin Peaks. Uh, one thing that I did want to bring up is that, uh, of of course, like we're all just talking about this in hindsight because we weren't born when Twin Peaks was around, but it really was like this groundbreaking phenomenon for a hot minute. And uh, one thing I don't want to get overlooked is that uh, the original Twin Peaks show, it really is a satire on like modern soap operas at the time. Because like, that's what was hot. That's that, what was popular. Yeah, yeah and that's like, what I was that's exactly what I was about to bring up is that it's Damon Lind or is excuse me, it's David Lynch commenting on TV at that time with soap operas and procedural mystery dramas. And going into this show, this was a network television show. It was on ABC that David Lynch was just like basically I'm gonna make this super fucking artsy sci fi mystery and I don't want to tell you what the mystery is. Like, I'm not going to solve this mystery. Of course, eventually, the network told him, all right, you have to solve this and wrap it up because we have to be like a network mystery And they were show. losing viewers. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which, honestly, um, I know they were forced to reveal who Laura Palmer's killer is. And really, I thought they did it pretty excellently with... Uh, you know, I mean, I guess we should discuss what the show is actually about. Yeah, but so at, they were, at this point, they pushed into telling who the killer was. I thought it was still very well done. At, at this point, I'll say um, this podcast is going to be very spoiler heavy. So if you are listening to this without having seen any of the show, please go watch it. Don't don't ruin this for yourself. You know, this we're going to we're going to talk heavily about what happens in the show. So. Go and watch Twin Peaks, watch all of it, watch the movie, watch The Return, and then come back and listen to this, because this is going to be a deep, deep dive. So, it, you've been warned. <laughs> definitely, I cannot stress enough, watch a Firewalk With Me before you watch Twin Peaks The Return, because arguably Firewalk With Me is more important to the to the return than the original show is, just in some of the ideas that are uh, brought up in Firewalk With Me. Yeah, and, and I guess to what you were saying earlier, Colin, like the, the reveal of not only um, Laura Palmer's dad murdering her, but him also being inhabited by this Bob entity doesn't feel like it was shoehorned in because the studio told them to make something up. It feels natural to the world and the things that have been set up and just the strangeness of the show. And the and the tragedy of the whole you know series too you know it's it's really you know sad when uh Leland is finally passing away and he dies in Cooper's arms and like he's like saying like please forgive me and like he's saying Laura's there like welcoming him to the afterlife or the lodge or something so even though the killer does get revealed. I was fine with it, honestly. Well, well, what I think, where I think that this show really excelled at that point was this could have been a show where, at this point, David Lynch had kind of dropped out. So it was a really big, like, credit to Mark Frost, who kind of kept this thing going after David Lynch stepped out of it due to all these network issues that he was having. But the show became less about 
directly, okay, who was the person who killed Laura Palmer, then what caused this person to kill Laura Palmer? And that's where the show really dug into another level because that's when we got into the white and the black lodge and the red room and all of these entities like Judy and Bob and all these things that elevated the show to a whole nother level. Um, Ernest, I have a question for you sure. and, and I guess Hunter, you guys can both um, answer this. Go ahead. Uh, is there a particular scene in twin peaks? Like the first one that really just like, made you realize like what the heck is going on here like a scene that maybe like unsettled you or disturbed you or just you know shocked you uh there's there's a couple um but if i would have to pick one i think i would have to pick uh audrey's dance i was i was thinking that because (laughs) because you know that that one kind of caught me by surprise uh, is that the is that the pilot episode or like early season? Is that is that when it happens? Is that when it happens when when they're in the uh, the diner and she just starts dancing in the in the middle of the diner? Yeah, I can't remember yeah. if that's the pilot or if that's but it's definitely early yeah, season. Because I I watched the pilot like way way back because it's an it's an hour and a half long and I watched that and then I waited like a while to keep watching the show. So I may need to revisit that first episode again, now that I have watched the, the entire series. Um, but I, I just remember that scene very vividly in my head as to me being like, okay, this is definitely something different. This is, <laughs> this is Lynch kind of just trying to set a mood. And it, it, it put me in, in the headspace of not being wrapped up in trying to follow the plot. And I don't know if there are, like Twin Peaks fans that obsess about what is actually happening in the plot of the show because if if those people exist I think they're wasting their time. And I've actually heard that that idea before. I mean, I always am kind of a person who's theorizing, especially whenever we get to the return about like who is who is this character and like what's actually going on here? Who is Nigo? Like stuff like that. But I I think to answer Colin's question um the the actual the part where I fell in love with the show is I believe it's episode f- three or four of the first season where um they're at Laura's wedding and you have Leland jumping on her the casket. Funeral, funeral. Yeah, the funeral yeah, yeah. or the funeral, excuse me. He jumped on the casket and sinks into the ground with her. And then meanwhile, like James is like putting up this whole big thing and you think James and Bobby are gonna fight at the funeral. Yeah. And it's so over the top and I'm like laughing but I'm also extremely invested in like everything that's happening around it's just so different and unlike anything else yeah what is what is the name of the actor that plays Leland Palmer um uh, Ray Wise yeah he is he, really really he's damn amazing. good yes he's his, phenomenal his performance um goes through so many changes throughout the original show um and then into the film that you really are sympathetic to this like monstrous guy because you 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 never quite know like what is happening in his head and and his performance goes through so many subtle changes that you're kind of caught off guard as to like what's really happening with mm-hmm. this guy. He could have easily played him as just like this static possessed sort of thing where he's just like 
evil imperson like personified but he's not he's very he's still got some humanity in him and, and it makes for a really complex and and engaging performance i i really like the, the leland character uh there's a lot of intensity in his performance too especially in fire walk with me Oh yeah. yeah, he's terrifying in that movie. Yeah, Absolutely. I want to. I want to get to Fire Walk with me. So let's give some final thoughts on the original series before we get there. I'll just say that I I do want to revisit it again now that I've seen the return mm-hmm. uh, and sort of pick out certain things because having seen the return, I really feel like Lynch is such a genius that there are things in Twin Peaks, the original show, that recontextualized now will have more of an impact because of the the whole story that has been told. It's almost like he knew all along what he was going to do. It's it's insane. Yeah. And, you, you know, season one is almost another entity than season two because season two meanders so much and there's so much in there that, like, ends up not really amounting to anything. Uh, but yeah. season one feels, like, very coherent. Well, coherent as, as Lynch can be. Um <laughs> And a lot more entertaining as entertaining as Lynch can be, uh, and just like more well made and well crafted than season two. Okay, well, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about season two because I I understand like I agree with you that season two isn't as good as season one, but I still fucking love season two. I especially as, the finale. Oh, I mean the finale is amazing and everything. I love everything with Wyndham Earl. That whole arc. I just I find that whole situation really like fascinating and exactly who Wyndham is as this ultimate sadistic bad guy. And honestly, like <laughs> I love the super soap opery parts of it. Like everything with James and the mistress that he meets, that means yeah. nothing to the context <laughs> of the show. Like it it's just totally a throwaway plot, but like I still love seeing it just because I really love the performance uh, of James Hurley and that whole situation, and it's just so dramatic that it it, it still envelops me. Colin, thoughts? Uh, uh, I'm just going to go through a bullet points of uh, the original series, but um, uh, I just I can't stress the atmosphere. I think the best thing mm-hmm. that the original show did is that it really did make you feel like you were in this town yes, and like you were in some other, you know, like some other world because, you know, really like the small town is like, it's been dead for a long time. Like, I don't think there's any actual like towns like Twin Peaks that exist too much these days, you know, cause the town kind of had like that retro fifties feel. So that combined with uh, the music too, Angelo Badalamente's music mm-hmm. is just, you know, it's so melodramatic, atmospheric, uh, and very beautiful. So that helps you get in the mood for this show. Uh, and this show is also, it's, it's really frightening too. Like the scene where you first see Bob, uh, and, uh, Sarah Palmer's just screaming. It just comes out of nowhere. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of really, uh, you know, creepy stuff in the show, which is part of the reason why I love it. And I don't scare too easily either. Yeah, it's really effective stuff. I mean, Lynch really knows how to mix that um, um, just nice, like, television vibe. Because at the surface, it's still, the original Twin Peaks is still just a, a TV show. I think it moves away from that in The Return. But the original show, like, you can watch it as just a regular old show but there's just this underbelly of like real real horror that when it pops up 
it's so effective. It really, really gets under your skin, and it makes for some of the more memorable parts of the show, I think. I really can't believe that ABC allowed David Lynch to be to do some of the things that he did for that show. I mean, yeah. especially whenever we talk about the ending, like the way knowing that Twin Peaks was canceled, that it wasn't coming back, and that they let David Lynch just kind of close it on like the ultimate cliffhanger for that time. We'll talk about that cliffhanger in comparison to the returns cliffhanger. Yeah. But just the idea of how he was able to do that with who where's Annie? Where's Annie? Like that was just it's it's so creepy and gets under your skin and you're like, that's fucking it. And then we move into Fire Walk with Me, which if we kind of put ourselves back in the time, like watching this live, imagine getting ready for Fire Walk with Me to come out and you're like, sweet, <laughs> all of these answers are going to come to me. Everything's going to be wrapped up so neat and tidy. Nope, it's a fucking prequel. <laughs> and it just opens up more questions than we had before. Yeah, I think now that we're getting in the Fire Walk with Me, I think that what Lynch did is he not only made a, a, a comment on like his experience making the show because the first shot of fire walk with me is a is a tv being destroyed <laughs> like hammered to to pieces like doesn't get less subtle than that um but he also tells this story that really opens up the whole twin peaks universe and like the lore with all the surreal shit i think that everything in fire walk with me i mean i don't necessarily agree with this but a lot of people like to interpret the film as um a version of reality that is removed from what actually happened like laura palmer dealing with her circumstances in this abstract way that the horrors of her abuse of like that incestual rape from her father caused her to do so many drugs that she's just starts like disassociating and that a lot of the things that we see aren't actually happening i much would rather believe that it actually you know yeah. quote-unquote is happening and that there are larger things at play here especially because of what everything that happens in the return um but as a whole i think that fire walk with me um is a really off-putting film uh i really understand why people don't like it but it's such a crucial piece of the puzzle that i appreciate david lynch making it to elevate the whole story of twin peaks because so much of what happens in the return rests on the uh, building blocks of the that film that it is it is necessary i do wish i haven't seen the missing pieces but i do wish that he would have found some way to make the movie that he intended to because he shot so much footage for that film that it it's almost like he shot enough for two movies so maybe i i, I don't know if i would have liked to have seen two movies but it, it it just it there's something inside of me that says that like there are parts of of fire walk with me that could have been better if he hadn't stripped it down and cut out so much of that stuff that ended up uh, in the missing pieces. What do you guys think? Uh, when I, when I finally got around to seeing fire walk with me, I was, uh, I was pretty disappointed at first. I was like, eh, I wanted it to be more like this show. I wanted more Cooper. 
Uh, and I think some of the acting and scenes, uh, just like it goes a little too far at some points. Like the scene where with uh, Laura the Palmer, man oh, okay. screaming. Yeah, yeah. The you're talking about the scene at the at the towards the end of the film when the one-armed man is in the van in the camper looking thing. Yeah, and he's like screaming about him like cream corn and like, <laughs> uh, and like and like Laura Palmer is like screaming and everyone's screaming and I'm just kind of like oh, make it stop. <laughs> uh, there's like there's also like the scene where Laura jumps off of um James Hurley's uh, motorcycle and she screams I love you at the top of her lungs. And I was just like, oh, that's just, just like, there's some like really like shit scenes. That's like sometimes, but, uh, I think Cheryl, Cheryl Lee's performance is, is a little all over the place. And I think that that scene in particular that you're talking about kind of sticks out a little bit because she's so good throughout most of the film. And then in a couple shots, couple takes here and there like that one, it's like pretty bad. So it's kind of well, it's kind of all over the place. I actually I kind of disagree with you there. I think that Cheryl Lee is this Fire Welcome Lee really gave her a chance to shine like she never got in the original show just because this all takes place after she's die after she's dead. But I think that there's just like I just love this show. Of course we talked about a lot of people hated it. It premiered at Cannes Film Festival and it was booed. Like, just because this isn't just, it's not a real movie in that you can't just like, oh, Fire Walk With Me just came out. Let's just go buy tickets. I've never seen Twin no. Peaks. Like, that's not a way that you can watch this show. Ernest, I know your parents tried to watch this show yeah. and they well, the hated movie. it. Or well, watch the movie. They started The Return, didn't understand it. Oh, really? And then they asked me if they should watch the show or the movie and i was like maybe you should watch the movie because i i wasn't going to be like you know watch 30 hours of tv first so i was like you know at least watch the movie before you watch the return so they watched it's fire kinda, walk with me and they it, hated it, it it contradicts it because it's like oh well you know like you have to like start from the very beginning in order to appreciate like the next part and hunter i'm going to disagree with you actually oh yeah yeah, uh, Cheryl Lee, the actress who played Laura Palmer, she did have a chance to shine because she played Maddie Ferguson in the original series, and she was fantastic. I thought it was That's a brilliant true. character to, like, you know, utilize her as an actress just so she wasn't playing, uh, you know, someone who was off screen, you know? Mm. But in Fire Walk With Me, she did have a chance to play Laura. Um, also, unfortunately, I think Fire Walk With Me... Uh, is kind of an example of uh, when, like, Lynchian scenes kind of become, like, a parody of itself, where it's like, oh, like, maybe it's a little too artsy to where it becomes a bit comical. Like, you know, like, you have, like, scenes of, like, all the spirits in the lodge, and there's, like, a guy jumping around, like, yeah. wearing a white mask. Like, there's, like, a monkey. So it kind of, be, it kind of like, it kind of misses the mark just a bit. I think that you know that scene I'm talking yeah that scene yeah. Bowie that scene in particular that you're talking about um, really adds to my point about this feeling like a compromised version of the film that Lynch wanted to make because that whole sequence with David Bowie like crossfading and cutting back to the lodge and all of this yeah, crazy like, shit it comes very out of nowhere it, not only does it come out of nowhere but it really I've seen clips of the missing pieces and it seems like there was so much more to that scene. Oh yes, that definitely. It, 
it's like Lynch, like instead of cutting out that sequence, he like montaged it or something, like truncated it, and it just doesn't work as well as it could, you know? Just why yeah. not just leave the original scene as it was? Like why do you, why like you know truncated in such a way where it's like three scenes playing on top of each other like that? It was almost incoherent. Like I would have I would have rather seen the original version with the footage that didn't make it into the final film. I I definitely recommend that you do watch the missing pieces because I think the missing pieces is a very vital part of the story. Like you said, like I really don't understand why they kind of just made like make it a little bit long, make it two, two and a half hours long, but like have more, have it be more of a coherent story. I almost wonder if David Lynch was like the original Twin Peaks is kind of his him commenting on TV. I wonder if this is almost him commenting on movies and just like, <laughs> fuck your linear storytelling. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to make everyone angry and I'm going to make you think and have to put all of these pieces together yourself. Damn. Damn. Yeah. I, I mean, this movie, this movie kind of derailed David Lynch for a little bit. Cause like he, uh, he wasn't quite as on fire in the nineties. Like he was in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Twin Peaks came out in the nineties, but after that, uh, he had movies like lost highway and uh wild at heart, which weren't quite as like acclaimed as like his eighties films, but like still good. So Yeah. Uh, this movie played extremely well to a Japanese audience, and it was actually a, a, a hit in Japan. Oh, that's, that's, that's very odd. <laughs> like, it's just well, really odd. Well, with Japanese women, because of the whole like rape thing, you know. Damn. Apparently, like, you know, it's it spoke to the Japanese. Um, yeah, I mean, Fire Walk with Me, like, it's it's pretty fucking brutal too. Oh, like it really is. The the particular the rape scene that you were talking about is it's gut wrenching to watch just because you just see her just like laying there uh, helpless and it turns from Bob into her father. And it's just uh, it's yeah. so he, hard to holding, watch holding her father's face. Yes. Um, but also uh, you were talking about earlier about how there are some interpretations where this is like kind of an altered reality that yeah, she's it's, seen. It's like a coping mechanism. But the reason why I disagree with that is mainly one thing in particular that she writes in her diary that the good Cooper is in the lodge and An- that Annie tells her that. And that's something that would only exist if you do kind of take what you're seeing a little bit literally. Yeah. And, and the, the yeah, the, I wouldn't agree with like, I wouldn't agree with any of that too, Hunter. Like, I, n- I never took it like, oh, it's like in her head or something. I think the, the reason why some of those theories may hold a little bit of weight is because of some of the stuff that happens in The Return with the whole dream concept and the who is the dreamer and this whole idea of multiple realities and some realities being more true than others. Um, without any of these concepts being introduced in the return, I don't think that this theory would hold any weight. So we'll get to that once we actually discuss the ending of the return. Um, but do you guys have any final thoughts on Firewalk with me? Um, yeah, first of all, Kyle McLaughlin, he's clearly phoning it in this whole movie. <laughs> he has <laughs> one, not, one scene. He does not want to be there at all. I don't even know if I can blame Kyle McLaughlin as much as I can David Lynch because Kyle McLaughlin, like, he just doesn't really have anything to do in this movie. 
Um, okay, quickly, one other thing I will say. Um, I'm blanking on the other guy's name, but I love Kiefer Sutherland in Firewalk Oof. With Me. The whole He's bizarro, actually, bizarro sequence at the beginning. I, I think that Kiefer Sutherland fits perfectly in. Like His <laughs> character fits right into the Twin Peaks universe. His partner, though, I could not stand. Yeah. Um, Chet Desmond. Yeah, Chet Desmond. Well, who that's, I, that's I think, the point. It's like Chet Desmond is supposed to be like... Uh, like Cooper's like the most likable, like greatest FBI detective. Chet Desmond is like the opposite of yeah, that. Yeah, Chet Desmond's just like not charismatic in any way, but at least Kiefer Sutherland, like he has like a tick thing going on, which like every character in Twin Peaks has like something that, at least one thing that's like a little bit off with them that you like can't really yeah. get a solid feel on. I, I feel like you get that with Kiefer's character. Uh, Hunter's also a massive uh, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland <laughs> I'm, fan. I'm a big 24 yeah. head. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that show has aged super great um, in recent years, but growing up, I was a huge uh, 24 fan and just a big Kiefer and Donald Sutherland fan. Nice. I, I do really enjoy that whole opening sequence with Kiefer, um, with them investigating this like bizarro twin peaks adjacent town because mm -hmm. everything is completely the opposite like they go to the diner and everyone's super mean yeah. they go to the yeah. sheriff's office and they're that, all super mean that like, is horrible. also i i love that whole like segment but the biggest thing that i hate about that is that goes for like the first half of the movie or so and then it just ends yeah and then that's just they go to the rv and the park, movie really starts they go to, like the trailer park or whatever and then it ends and i'm glad we're gonna get to it harry return. dean stanton yeah that we we return to that trailer park, yeah. which is really cool, and it plays a crucial crucial part in in the return, mm -hmm. which a lot of the you know things introduced in Firewalk with me lead right into the return, like the trailer park and uh, the ring and all of these subtle subtle things um, that you know w you wouldn't think David Lynch would carry over, but the way they carry over, it's again like I said earlier, it's almost like he had this grand master plan to mm -hmm. tell this huge, huge story. Um, so yeah, let's. Oh, before we, we before we move on, though, I don't want to forget. Uh, I want to say my favorite scene in Firewalk with me is the pink room with the blaring, blaring music. Oh yeah, that that music is amazing. I don't know what also, it is or who made it, but that whole sequence is made by the song that it's playing. Cause it's just blasting and it's like, it's so dirty. Loud. And yeah. And you're just watching like, um, the new recast Donna, <laughs> like stripping to try and impress Laura and yeah. this whole situation. It's it, so off putting. It's so off putting. And it's David Lynch is a master at making at like, making sex disgusting and disturbing like that's kind of a common thing like when you talk about blue velvet fire walk with me and then toward at the very end of the return his sex scenes quote unquote are very off-putting like it's very it's yeah. very counter to it's the like hollywood what, standard what you're seeing on the screen is on the surface like very sensual and and sexual and like lustful but the way it makes you feel is not good it's very it's negative dirty it's very dirty yeah <laughs> i uh unlike in a maholan drive that actually has a very passionate and kind of beautiful sex scene in that movie it doesn't make you feel like dirty or gross so he can he he, he can do both well, uh if, if i want to talk about my favorite scene in fire walk with me 
it's it's kind of like I guess it's kind of a bizarre choice, but my favorite scene is just when Laura's going to the bar and she's sitting down and that band's playing. I believe the song's called uh, World of Blue and Laura just starts crying. That's my favorite scene in the movie because that song's so beautiful and I think it kind of sums up everything that Laura's feeling with the lyrics and, uh, you know, beautiful stuff. Love it. That uh, that scene actually, um, that remind like, that scene, I was thinking about that scene the first time that I saw The Return because now we're moving into The Return discussion. David Lynch made the decision to end pretty much every episode with a musical number. Yeah. And not just like a clip of it. Like he'll show like the full song for the last like three, four minutes of the episode. And we get a little bit of a taste of that in Fire Walk With Me for the first time is Laura sitting there in the bar watching this band perform and just seeing her reaction to it. And we get a little bit of that The Return by I almost feel like we're like the audience is kind of in Laura Palmer's position where we're supposed to be the ones who are reacting to this song and thinking about, okay, why did David Lynch make the choice with this song at this point in time? Yeah. And then with the episodes that don't have a song at all, you know, there's an effect with that too. Exactly. Because we've yep. come to expect each episode to be bookended with a performance and then you know, when we get Big Ed eating soup, <laughs> it's like so emotionally resonant than it would be if we hadn't gotten all these uh, other musical endings. Um, all right. So now let's get into Twin Peaks, The Return. Uh, this is a show that aired on Showtime from May to September of last year. And it started out with really fairly strong ratings. I think it made between like half a million to a million viewers with the premiere and then it just dropped off yeah from there. the uh i have the uh viewers up here the first two episodes because they premiered in a two-part at a 500 500,000 or 506,000 people and then you go down to ep3 drops all the way down to 0.195 million so a hundred, <laughs> like two hundred thousand, like so over a fifty percent drop between episode two and episode three. Yeah, Un unfortunately, Twin Peaks just isn't for everyone. Like I've tried recommending it to people, and they just watch like a few episodes, and they're just like, "Dude, this is like the worst show I've ever <laughs> seen in my life." And I'm just like, "Oh, whoops." Like, <laughs> well, I, like, I forget sometimes, you know, that David Lynch isn't for everyone. No, I mean it's absolutely. It's not even. It's not a show that I can recommend to everybody because it is. It almost comes across to some people as on the nose with its commentary, and t if you're looking at it from a very surface level, you're like, oh, haha, -ha, he's making fun of this thing. Like, he's commenting on soap operas. That's what he's doing. But whenever you dig deeper into it, that's when you realize that it's much deeper of a show than that. Especially with The Return. Especially with The Return, yeah. because while the original show was kind of commenting on TV, soap operas, mystery, crime... The and the movie is commenting on just kind of movies and linear storytelling. I think that the return is commenting on this era that we're in of television is just being like peak TV and everything is very over dramatic and uh, just very uh, like like movies basically. Like we're having this kind of like and nostalgia too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The whole concept of returning to something that's dated and and. Um, 
you know hold, yeah it's holds, a reboot yeah this yeah. whole like reboot culture that we're in and david lynch kind of turns that on its head and makes it so it's nothing like the yeah. original show yeah it, it's like star wars guys all of our you know all these old people are coming back this is like the solo of uh twin peaks <laughs> yeah it's like you know twin peaks the return like we're just going back and we're just gonna see agent cooper solving more mysteries in twin peaks and hanging out and going to the uh, diner and drinking coffee and eating pie like it's just gonna be a good old time and audrey's daughter was murdered <laughs> 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 who was the killer was it ben horn <laughs> so now that we're getting into the return i just want to say like one of the things that kind of it didn't like completely turn me off because i was still of course absolutely going to watch all of the return but it did throw me off the first few episodes when we spend bulk of our time not in the town of twin peaks because yeah new york twin peaks is such a it's such a centralized show and that it only takes place in this small town and you feel like you're right there where the return takes place all across the country with sprawling cast of new characters and huge cast yeah huge Huge. cast and the performances are unbelievably good like david lynch i don't know how he got all of the performers that he did to sign up for this yeah well um if if you don't mind uh before we talk about the show i i I would like to talk about the you know kind of pre-production of what happened and when the show got announced it took a while for it to actually get made right yeah well, at one point, David Lynch just dropped off. He was like, nope, I'm not doing it because I guess Showtime wouldn't give him a sufficient budget for what he wanted to achieve. And they wouldn't give him complete creative control, which is something that he didn't have in the original show. And he basically said, like, I'm only coming back if you let me do exactly what yeah. I want to do with this show. And also, um, you know, other networks shopped the show like he he didn't just netflix Netflix actually tried to make a pitch for it but david lynch is kind of he's very anti the whole binge culture because that's not how you're supposed to ingest his his work it's supposed to be something that you sit and you think about exactly exactly and and netflix must have offered him all the money in the world because they're fucking rich but lynch wanted a, a very specific method of delivery for his show i mean it's almost weird to call this a show because it's not even a movie either it's like it's it's just something else 18 hours of art it's kind of what it is but uh once lynch said he was like i'm dropping out for showtime of course there was a big you know public outcry well not public but like fan outcry uh there's like a little video montage of like all the cast members from Twin Peaks being like, Twin Peaks isn't Twin Peaks without David Lynch. Yeah. And really, he was just playing a game the whole time. <laughs> like, he was just he was playing Showtime. He was leveraging himself so that he could get, like, full control over the show. Oh, oh absolutely. It was like, it was just a stunt that he was doing. And it worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he it got definitely got 18 worked. episodes instead of just nine. Yeah. And he wrote and directed all of them wrote them with mark frost we can't forget mark frost he's also yeah, an integral he, part of let's this let's not forget like i know we've been you know bragging about david lynch but twin peaks is very much mark frost show as well oh i mean i think that mark frost is kind of the person who grounds everything back in reality if david if it was just david lynch on this project then it would be even more abstract than it already is mark frost is the one who is 
kind of doing the through line of a central story that we're following here. David Lynch, he does all kinds of amazing directing things and just the way in which he tells the story, but Twin Peaks would be it would be more like Fire Walk With Me, which Mark Frost wasn't involved with, if we didn't have Mark Frost there to kind of have this through-line plot throughout the new series. Yeah, and I think looking at the return um, in in that sort of way of like trying to ground it, it's a little difficult because, you know, they, they shot this over the course of a few years. I mean, it, it took like three to four years for the full production, but I think the actual um, shooting was like one to two years and it was sort of all over the place and, you know, characters would, or like actors would come in and out and not know the full scope of things. Yeah. And that was, that's a really interesting way that they did it is because this, so much of the show was under wraps that pretty much the only people who knew the full story were Mark Frost, David Lynch and Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. Cause they were the only people who were involved throughout the entire show. And the assembly of every individual episode was up to them as well, because you know, you'd have these sequences like all the stuff with Caleb Landry Jones and Amanda Segfried. Like they probably shot for a couple of days, but their stuff is peppered in throughout the whole show. You like each time you sit down to watch an episode, you don't know what you're gonna get because the way Lynch chose to spread out all these individual plot threads, it's like every episode had to adhere to like a certain mood and tone for that individual hour. And it really makes for like a a type of uh, episodic storytelling that's kind of ahead of its time. Like Mm -hmm. I've never really seen anything like this where you have characters that show up and then you don't see them again for like another six episodes and you like, (laughs) <laughs> it becomes a little bit convoluted in my head to try to like follow the the plot of these these side characters. So Ernest, what is uh Twin Peaks the return about? Um <laughs> it's hard because for the first <laughs> series it's so easy to like say what it's about. It's, it's about a murder mystery. Yeah. Laura Palmer is murdered, special agent FBI Cooper shows up. This one it's like what the hell like how do you even describe this? It's it's tough. I mean, I think we should go around and give our own interpretations. I think the show, I think Lynch is trying to say something really poignant about human nature and our tendency to um, play different roles in our lives and the duality that we find ourselves into um, when we think of ourselves as good or bad people. It's like, you know nobody is good or bad. Like we're all a mixture of some form of good and evil. And it's really tough to come to terms with that. And I think Lynch is trying to apply that in a personal sense to all these characters, but also to society and to American society and to just humanity in general. I think that's the core of the show. Um, What happens in the show, it's basically Cooper returning to himself and to Twin Peaks and Mm. a lot of other things along the way. But what it's about, I think it's about that struggle, that duality, that that inner, you know, fight between good and evil that is in every human. Yeah, uh, duality is a big part of David Lynch's films. It's in Mulholland Drive and uh, Lost Highway. 
just to name a few. So duality, I agree, is a huge part, you know, uh, good and evil, black and white. You know, look at the lodge, like the floor, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, duality right there in your face. Uh, Hunter, what, uh, what do you, what does Twin Peaks Thirteen mean to you? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it's kind of like you said, like with this whole duality of good and evil. But I almost kind of feel we talk a lot on our podcast about the hero's journey and this whole idea. And this show, one of the things that makes it so great is it kind of flips that whole classic storyline on its head of good versus evil. To its core, Twin Peaks is a show about good versus evil, but we see all these characters that just have, they're more than one side to them, unless you're Andy, because Andy's the only one who's pure enough of heart to go straight to the White Lodge yeah. with everybody else. I love that scene. That is only, one of my favorite scenes. decent person in the whole series. Yeah, exactly. But I really think that, that's, that you kind of sum this show up best and what it is about at its core. It's a show about good versus evil. I think that it is about I think it's still a little bit deeper than that in that there are still other themes that are going on here and where the show the return excels is it takes what is a surface level mystery murder mystery in the first show and it escalates it to being about these demons and these dark dark entities and their births and how they actually I mean, if not their burst, then how they were connected to Earth in some way. And these light forces, the firemen who are doing their best to try and stop this evil force, uh, Judy, as we learn to know it. Um, I feel like we should just go ahead and jump a little bit ahead to episode eight, because that's kind of episode eight kind of sums up a lot of what this show is about. And episode or at, least, eight, at least the lore of yeah. some of the some of the source of all of these I, entities. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Episode 8 of Twin Peaks The Return is my favorite episode of television of all time. Um, It's hard to even say it's an episode of television because it's really like you're watching an hour moving painting of just... We start with uh, Evil Cooper getting shot and then you see the... uh, the hitchhikers, the woodsmen come in and they cover his face in blood and bring him back to life. They give him a little massage. Yeah, just massage some blood on his face. And then from that, we just cut straight to 1945, the first nuclear bomb going My off. My fucking mouth dropped. I, in 1945. I, I, I can't even like watching this show. I mean, I was rewatching it last night in preparation for this podcast. And at one point, Gaia walked out of the bedroom and was like, why is your mouth open? I'm like, I don't care if I've never if I've already seen this before. Like, I'm just in awe of what I am watching right now, just because. I don't. Some people view that as the birth of the Black and the White Lodge. I don't view it that way because I think that they even talk about Hawk has talked about before in the original show. The Black and White Lodge have existed basically forever. Um, that they have been a lore even in the Native American times. What I view that is is it is the birth of Bob specifically, and it is kind of like the time where the black lo- the Black and White Lodge are linked to Earth. Like, I think that that is kind of the birth of the vortex that we see at uh, certain points in the return, where we have this kind of portal between the lodges and Earth. And then, of course, we have 1954, we flash forward a little bit, that frog cockroach monster thing that comes in that we can assume is Judy, 
that eventually crawls into a, the girl's mouth. It's a very mouth. good guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. It, it has to be Sarah Palmer it, too. It does. I I've still seen other uh, analysis of what it is, just because. It's David Lynch, so we're never going to get a concrete answer of any kind. It's all up to your interpretation. But for my view, that is definitely what it is. It is Sarah Palmer that we're seeing get inhabited by this dark, evil entity. Jaw day. Jaw day. So before we move to Colin's thoughts, I want to ask you something, Hunter. So based on what you just said about the atomic bomb being like the source of this like connection to earth from the black and white lodge so you're saying that the uh, the birth of the creation of the atomic bomb isn't it's 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 just the creation of the portal it's not the creation of like evil yes because that's that's something that i was thinking about when i saw the episode it was like i thought that lynch was trying to say that the atomic bomb was like the most evil thing that humanity has done and it's like the birth of all evil in the universe okay so i don't i do think that is that david lynch is saying that the atomic bomb is the most evil thing that humans can do but it's not the birth of evil i think the evil has existed since the the beginning of time but that is what yes it was uh human it was humanity uh discovering this ultimate tool of evil of yeah. mass annihilation and that was what actually opened up this portal so that these truly dark evil entities demons even could come to earth and inhabit yeah. humans so so true true just core deep evil exists outside of space and time but humans tapped into it by creating the atomic bomb. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm trying that's, to say. That's a great take. I like that. Well, well, maybe the bomb, like, it's like it was the next, like, evolution in evil that, like, mankind hadn't achieved at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, not like, oh, the birth of evil, but, like, the next step in, like, darkness. But such a crucial step that opened this portal to the Black Lodge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's creating that that link there. Um, and I think we're going to keep revisiting this episode it, throughout this discussion. So, Colin, let's let's hear your thoughts. What what is the return about? All right. So, well, I agree with everything you guys said, like the duality and everything. But for this specific limited series, uh, to me, like this show is just about like there is something like fundamentally like wrong with everything that's like happening. Like, and these people who live in the town of twin peaks, like Cooper, Laura Palmer, uh, you know, people at the sheriff's station, etc. you know, they have some sort of, they're able to get like this insight into like these like overwhelming like forces that exist outside of our universe. And it kind of, it kind of reminds me of Donnie Darko. A bit yeah mm-hmm. and, like, they're just kind of like letting the universe play out like you know the first series it's who killed laura palmer in this new series it's just like trying to figure out like what the heck is going on <laughs> and um you know i think it was maybe like a year or so before i watched well when the premiere when the, excuse me when the return premiered uh, I actually watched a spoiler video of leaked information, oh, and no, everything no. turned out to be true. <laughs> God damn it! What was yeah. the what did the video reveal? Uh, that the series would take place in multiple cities. That was true. 
uh, it was very vague information. At one point, the guy was like, in something about an atomic bomb. <laughs> <laughs> like, so it was like, it was like vague information like that. But there's also a picture of Dale Cooper with Laura Palmer standing outside of her house. So I thought that Laura Palmer was going to come back. And that's not really what happened at all. So even though there was some leaked information, it didn't damper any of the experience because how the hell could you predict anything that happened in this show? Yeah, I mean, Hunter has said this before when talking about the show. It's like you can't really spoil Twin Peaks. Exactly. No, that's the whole thing is because <laughs> Twin Peaks, it's less about the plot and it's more about how you feel when you watch it and what you're thinking about. Like, I, I've heard some people talk about before there's like um, – I don't remember who exactly it was, so I'm going to not cite them on this quote, but they said, like, if you're Reddit theorizing what's going to happen next in Twin Peaks, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And that's kind of, I I don't completely agree with that statement because I do still, like, I mean, watching the show, I was trying to figure out, like, okay, like, who is who is this, who are these characters that we're watching? How is this all going to link up together? Who are all the people talking at the Bang Who is Bang Billy? Bar? Yeah, like, it's stuff like that. Like, you're trying to, like, kind of put these pieces together, but at the same time, I do understand what that statement is trying to say, that it's not really about the who and the what. It's more about just kind of re- thinking about why you're seeing this and what it's supposed to all mean. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's about all the fun you had on the way and all these you <laughs> yeah. know, friends. You- yeah, I would call Twin Peaks fun. <laughs> yeah, I'd call The Return. It's basically The Wizard of Oz and, <laughs> and Dorothy, you know? Okay, so I think Hunter wants to just go through the bulk of what happens in the show real quick. So let's try That's to get good. this as through this as quickly as possible. 18 parts. A lot of things happen here. So let's go, Hunter. How do we start? So we start off um, with Cooper. We flash forward 25 years, which we didn't talk about that in the production, but this show takes place 25 years later in chronological order and in actual real time. 25 years later, um, we take over with Dale Cooper back in the Red Lodge and uh, the fireman and the arm who has now evolved to this skeletal tree monster. Yeah, thing. it looks like a nervous system. Yeah, yeah, it, that's that's kind of the, the way I took it. It almost looks like the nervous system to the brain in the way that it looks. Um, we take over with him there and we get these flashes of evil Cooper. Basically, they kind of tell him, like, you can't go back out there until the evil Cooper returns to the lodge. Meanwhile, evil Cooper is refusing to go back to the lodge, and he's, like, doing everything he can to stay in his human form. All right, one thing I want to say, I I remember when I was watching it, and they were like, you can't return until he comes back. I remember literally being like, God, that's going to take forever. (laughs) And it did. It took about 16 hours. Yeah. Um. Uh, which we're going to, I mean, we introduce ourselves later to, while, while we are in there, we do meet other characters like Nato, who ends up becoming a, uh, a crucial part as the show goes on, the Asian woman with no eyes, um, mm-hmm. who Cooper meets in there, which is also extremely haunting when you see her in this black and white room, which we later learn is the White Lodge. But you just see her in there and she's got this well, it's, like, it's chattering like kind it's of. It's like purple too, right? It's like a hue. Yeah. Hue-ish. Yeah, it's. Very shifty too. Exactly, Everything. like it's it. It all looks like very. It's very 
strangely shot and cut together so that she's kind of very yeah. jumpy and jittery and it's almost like your your tv is like buffering yes yeah that's <laughs> that's kind of like what i thought whenever watching it but like cooper's just standing there fine but you just see her kind of like shifting around and everything else um and then of course we have a uh, the collision between um dougie and evil cooper the real life dougie and they uh dougie is basically created and he comes out of or as cooper comes out through the uh <laughs> through the outlet in the wall yeah and- electricity david lynch has kind of a an obsession with that there's always like the crackling noise and like power lines like he gets these like things in his head and he's like electricity so electricity plays a huge role in the return too like we should say he did an interview with i think it was new york times i want to say where he talks about how important electricity and the sounds of twin peaks are lynch is credited with a lot of the sound design and the sound editing in in the return yeah i mean you can definitely self doing a lot you can definitely tell like that is how he visions like it's sounding when you are watching what he's showing you um I Dougie is a character that you kind of have to learn to love because at first you watch it and you're like, all right, come on. When's the real Cooper going to come back? But as the show goes on and we see Dougie get in and out of all of these strange circumstances, you just kind of learn to fall in love with him as this like goofball kind of. He's adorable. He is. He really is adorable. And also um, just have to like shout out to, uh, Kyle McLaughlin's performance. He essentially plays three roles in this new show. One of them is like, brain dead. Yeah, one of them is essentially brain dead who can only kind of parrot back responses to everything that certain keywords that they say. But he's also like extremely gifted in that we the first scene, the casino scene where we see him, he sees the black Hello. lodge. Hello. <laughs> and then he just goes over there, wins like millions of dollars just from all this like just playing the slots at all the right times and everything else. It's so like genius the way that it's all put together. And also shout out to Naomi Watts. I really enjoyed her performance. She was as Janie E is really awesome, especially whenever we eventually learn how she is connected to Laura Dern's character. Um, They're half sisters, right? Yeah. Something like that. Um, But I also want to give a shout out. I mean, Really, this whole cast is just phenomenal. But um, Except for Tammy. Okay. Let's go ahead and talk about that now because I was so excited to see that Gordon Cole played a major role in The Return because Gordon Cole has always been one of my favorite characters in the original show. It's good to see you again, old friend. And we have Albert who, rest in peace, Albert, like he is just great in the show and it's so great seeing these characters coming back together. Miguel but, Ferrer. Yeah, RIP to Miguel Ferrer. Ferrar, um, but Wait, I he's, don't he's know. Dead? Yeah, Miguel Ferrer is no dead. No way. Yeah, he, he, he died before the series even premiered. Yeah. He is so good in this. He's so good. His his character changed so much from the original show because he used to be a little bit one note. A fucking know? dick. Yeah, and then in The Return, he has this whole endearing side to him that I, I found really surprising. I actually, uh, I, I, I want to talk about literally... Uh, I was about to kind of refer, compare that to Bobby. Before I do, I just wanted to continue with Tammy because I don't know what exactly David Lynch was doing. My only thing that I dislike in The Return is Tammy. 
and I don't really understand what her purpose was in this show. Colin, how do you how do you feel about the Tammy character? All right. Well, first of all, Tammy was actually introduced in a, the secret history of Twin Peaks. Okay. So she's just a she's just a super intelligent FBI agent, and uh, she actually has a very high understanding of everything that is happening, probably more than any other character. So I think that's just that's that's it. That's just her character. She's just a super intelligent FBI agent. I did not that's get it. that from the actress's performance. Yeah, I at just all. I thought that her performance was just kind of weak. She has the worst reactions to everything. Like her reactions, yeah, always, her face I, always looks the same. I didn't I didn't get this impression from you guys. I thought I thought she was fine. Like she wasn't really like given material to give her much like acting. Like I said, like that's it. Like she is very one note, but it's not like she's given that many dramatic scenes. She basically she's in a just lot of she's in a lot of scenes. Yeah, I mean, but it's just like the scenes that she's in with Miguel Ferrer and David Lynch, like I just every time she said something, I was like, I just don't care. Like it's like they either should have completely cut out her character or give her more to chew on with those scenes, because otherwise it just it got to the point where it was just enough that it would like kind of bug me. Like every time she talked or anything, I was like, I'd just rather spend honestly, more time with these other characters. I, I didn't really mind her line delivery i thought that she did a fairly good job with that the thing that got to me was her reaction faces yeah no that's that's what i was just saying is like it's not she looks she has the same reaction to literally everything it's almost like she doesn't know like what to do in the scene it's like she's uncomfortable and like doesn't know what to do with her hands (laughs) like i just i it didn't ruin the show for me, but oh no, not at all. I don't know. I just I was hoping for a little bit more with that character because she does get so much screen time and she is like with Lynch. And this is something that we were talking about off mic, but I think that Lynch just kind of wanted an attractive like model looking girl to share uh, screen time absolutely. with him. And I mean, yeah. I mean, we'll look 100%. talk about talk about that one episode where uh, Gordon Cole has this like model lady like just making out with him in a hotel room that fucking Miguel Ferrer has to like walk in and (laughs) interrupt and it just lingers so hard on Gordon Cole just watching her get dressed and everything like it's so it's uncomfortable to watch and you're like I don't really know what this is trying to say if is David Lynch just like a creepo or like what is it trying to comment on Colin Colin mentioned earlier you mentioned earlier that like with the original show, he was trying to riff on these like 1950s tropes of like small town and like, um, you know, the, the, the classical like Americana sort of feel and vibe. Is he trying to still go back to that? Well, with this, is he trying to say something different? Is he, is he trying to make a comment about like the dated, um, perception and like the objectification of women or, or is he um, just what what is going on with that? I I think that um has been left out that whole like small town feel cuz like I said with the original Twin Peaks you felt like you're there and you're in that town. Uh to me all of that is kind of absent in the return and instead it's replaced by something much more different, something more epic and like universal. So I think that's kind of been left out unfortunately. Colin, I want to get your thoughts on Dougie. Let's go back to Dougie. Okay, so at first, like, (laughs) you know, 
I'm just like, all right, when's Coop coming back? When's Coop coming back? At first, I was a bit confused. Uh, I think we can all agree that Dougie is a surrogate or tulpa made by the evil Cooper so he doesn't have to return to the lodge 25 years later. Is that correct? Yeah. Will we, will That's, we, will yes. we agree on that? Yeah, we'll talk more yeah, about first... the tulpas whenever we get to um, Ian's character, but yes, I, I agree with that. But um, So I, I didn't catch on to that until maybe like reading stuff on the internet. At first, I thought he was created by the one-armed man so that Cooper would have you know, a body to return to. I got the sense that, that evil Coop cooperated with the one arm man. They were oh, probably yeah. working together to create Dougie. Well, and then we have at the very end of the, the series, whenever Cooper finally awakes and he sees the one arm man again, he gives him another one of his hairs and he says like, create another Tulpa, like basically to create another Dougie to actually come home to, uh, the Naomi Watts character to Janie E yeah. at the end of the show. But, um, one thing that I find interesting with Dougie is that it is still Cooper. Like, Cooper is there. Cooper is very, like, aware of what's happening. He's just been tricked by evil Cooper, and he's basically, like, a prisoner in his own body. So even though we don't get Cooper, it's almost like he's watching the show with us in kind of a meta way. Like, Cooper is there throughout the whole yeah. series. He can't engage with anything, but he understands it. No, yeah, yeah, because whenever he actually awakens, like he's aware of everything that he's been seeing yeah, this remembers. whole time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that Dougie is um, a really good testament as to the themes that uh, Lynch is trying to get across about the American dream and these... Um, aspirations as to having like the nice wife with the nice kid and the nice house and the oh, nice neighborhood. Oh, Ernest, never mind. You're right. The the town themes does come back, just not in Twin Peaks. It's in uh that Nevada place. Yeah, in Las Jamie. Vegas. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So never mind. It it is in the show. I just I kind of skipped over that. I didn't even think about uh Janie E and Sonny Jim and all of that. So never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Okay, well, let's continue with the... You want to continue with the plot summary? Well, um, just kind of... We're about to move into some of the stuff that does happen with Twin Peaks, and I also just want to give a huge shout-out to Dana Ashbrook. Dana Ashbrook is one of my MVPs of of the, the return, just because we have 25 years passed since we've last seen Bobby. And in the original show, Bobby is very much just the asshole, like, 18-year-old, full of himself kind of piece of shit. And 25 years later, we get this version of Bobby Briggs that is much closer to his dad in the original show. He's very sincere, and um, there's one specific scene in the Double R Diner where we see him and Shelly talking to their child. And just the moment where you see Shelly has remarried and has this new husband, it's genuinely heartbreaking for Bobby just because you can tell Bobby is matured and I think that's one of the things that this show excelled at um it's gonna be kind of a weird comparison but it's almost like with in the last Jedi how we kind of skip over the whole complete transformation from Luke Skywalker from young Jedi master to old crank living on island it's kind of like that same kind of transition where we skip over that whole like actually seeing the transition and we just see this new form of him which i love because you know 
we we're at a point where we're starting to get a quite a few TV revivals mm-hmm. of like a few years later coming back, and the characters are exactly the same. Exactly, twenty years later, and you don't get the sense it, of these people growing and changing and, and having lives in in the time that we left them. And I think that's one of the things that I really love about the reprise is that it feels. Even though we've spent 25 years apart from this town, it still feels very lived in. And it feels like these are real people who have gone about their lives. Just because it's not on camera, they've still gone through their lives. I mean, look at James Hurley, for example. You can tell all the shit that he's gone through now working for... Um, he hasn't worked for the sheriffs, but uh, doing whatever he does where he meets... He works for the, the Great Northern. That's yeah, right. He's yeah. just like a security yeah, guy. Yeah, security guy. Yeah. Um, which I'm kind of interested. We're now starting to get into... The James Hurley and uh, Freddy plotline. So I'm kind of interested. What are your takes on Hulk Hand? Colin? Uh, I loved Freddy. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was great. <laughs> and, you know, just... Uh, it's a, He's a good example of how funny David Lynch and Mark Frost can be. Because his <laughs> character is hilarious. And he's so absurd. And then whenever you find out about his Hulk Hand, you're like, Oh, well, he can take down Bad Coop. Because we've seen that Cooper can literally punch, uh, like punch a guy's face and make it explode. <laughs> so his his character just kind of serves like that, you know, person who can like fight off. And you know, he's very like Cockney, and he's just like some bloke called the Fireman. You know, uh, told me to go to Twin Peaks, and it's just like okay, like like I was on board with his character. I I thought he was actually really charming. Did you find? And, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, uh, I may cut you off. Uh, and then with James, James is, of course, one of the most, like, made fun of sh- uh, characters from the original series. So and, melodramatic. Uh, Just you and I. <laughs> but uh, with, with this show, I actually really liked uh, the screen time that he was given. He's not in it too much. But uh, we, we understand that he's, like, sustained some sort of head injury. So he he's not all, like quite there like he has some social skills that are kind of absence like he thinks it's okay to just go up to this uh married woman and be like i love you <laughs> you know because <laughs> uh shelly mentions it in the pilot or maybe like part two that uh he was in like some wreck or mm. anything which makes James sense is, he's always yeah. been cool yes <laughs> always always been cool but uh yeah I like I like Freddie and James. I, I had no problem with them. It's easier for me to talk about the few nitpicks I have with this show because other than that, like I'm just like yeah, I like that. Do you and feel I'm, do you feel as though like Freddie is a little bit of David Lynch kind of a little bit of a comment on kind of the superhero culture yeah, that we're in? That's we're my, just my like take, yeah. yeah that that was kind of how I felt watching it is just like oh I mean we have this evil entity and we need this like superhuman thing to come in here and beat the bad guys like i almost took that as like a like david lynch kind of like winking and nodding to the audience just like hey guys this is gonna be the the superhero is gonna be the guy who saves the day he says it's his destiny yeah yeah exactly it's like it's on the nose a little bit but i kind of love it for that for being so aware of what it is yeah i if you want to take it like that, me, I didn't really think of it that way. I think it's just like, I think it's just something Mark Frost and David Lynch came up with this character, and I can picture them just like laughing their asses off. And I think that's the purpose of this character. They just think of the most ridiculous like way to defeat Bob. 
Yeah. There's a lot of that in this show. I, I think that whether or not you like uh, Freddy is kind of determined on like how much you love the humor of the show. Like, I feel like there's a big correlation of if you like Freddy, then you like the Chantel and Hutch characters, the Jennifer Jason Lee and Tim Roth characters. I Ooh, personally I was not a fan of them. Really, I love their characters just because I thought they were so it was totally like Bonnie and Clyde style, just like super like trashy, but also kind of just like master like murder mastermind sociopaths that like don't really give a shit about who is in their way. They're just gonna like accomplish their task and like get money and kill people and like they don't give a fuck. And <laughs> I love their characters. I found them hilarious. There's that I mean, one like, scene. They, they were good, but whenever it cut to them, I was kind of just like, eh. I do love the line from Jennifer Jason Lee where she's like, she's like addicted to junk food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the specific scene that I was just thinking of when they're in the when they're in the van together. Yeah. She's like, where the fuck are my potato chips? <laughs> yeah, she's like, it's the last fucking bag, and like you can tell, like she is upset, like she is having issues because she has no more snacks. I love the part when they get shot down. That oh my was, god, that was great by a fucking yeah, neighbor. When yeah. it's that that whole scene is amazing because it's both. The FBI and uh, Chantel and Hutch's character both camped out in front of Dougie's house. And in the end, it's not even them that get into a firefight. It's just like a fucking neighbor who comes out and it's like over like a parking thing. Yeah. <laughs> he just fucking kills him. <laughs> well, um, it's so great. There's a, there's, a, there's a great moment in that scene where the, um, the brothers, what are their names again? The, um, the uh the, the casino brothers. the Mitchum brothers Mitchum. yeah they're like oh my god this neighborhood is really dangerous <laughs> and then the other guy's like these people are under a lot of stress yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ernest before uh, if there's any topic you want to move on to next I think we we do need to discuss uh bad coop I think that is very pivotal oh yes absolutely for this that, that we haven't really brushed on i mean it's the uh, bulk it's the bulk of kyle mcloggan's performance you know he gets the yeah. most screen time playing this really intensely evil character you know he is just seething with just, he's ugh. slimy and it's really like true evil uh I mean, did you guys buy kyle mclaughlin playing this you know really heinous yeah. role because normally oh, yeah. he's like you know, if you look at Kyle McLaughlin, he's like kind of, you know, he, he looks like your dad. He's like, hey, want to drink some wine? I'm going to get my hair done. Yeah, he like he <laughs> oozes charisma. He looks like the mayor of Portlandia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that this is, I think, I mean, just Evil Coop in general, if we're just going to just pick one role from this, I think that that might be Cal McLaughlin's best performance ever, just because it is, you could argue that it's one note, but it's so, like, dark, and it it's, it, you, like, watch him and just hate him. Um, specifically, my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes in the entire show, my favorite scene with Evil Coop is whenever he goes to uh, what's known as the farm to go after Ray, after Ray tried to kill him and leave him for dead in episode eight, and we have the arm wrestling scene. I have never watched a more arm, a more intense arm wrestling scene in my entire life, where you just watch him and Evil Coop is just fucking with the guy the whole time. He's like, "Do you want me to start from here?" And like, almost puts his hand on the on the ground, yeah. and then finally just unleashes it and breaks the dude's fucking wrist like it's nothing. Like it's so intense watching. That. Also, I never thought we were gonna see an arm wrestling sequence exactly. in Twin Peaks, or or just any show like that. Like in any other show, we would have like a brawl or something like that. In Twin Peaks, there's like, no, we're gonna have an arm wrestling contest to see if you're the new the new boss of our gang. <laughs> 
and then he fucking punches his face in. Yeah, yeah, he just literally smashes his face in. Like, it is so fucking intense and unlike anything else. Dude, what's with that scene where Evil Coop is just massaging that guy's face who's, like, at the Rena Center? Or not Rena Center, but, like, storage unit? He's just, like, massaging his face, and he's like, yes, this is all I need. Is this when he's going to meet Philip Jeffries when he's uh, trying yeah to... this is like really early in the return oh okay so it's not when he's gonna no yeah, yeah. He, he meets Philip Jeffries towards the end of the series yeah can can we talk about that real quick because David Bowie returning as a tea kettle is like one of the best things about that's this, the return and one of the best lines in the show is just like uh it's in like the second to last episode or maybe part 16 where there's like Philip Jeffries does not exist in the form or in like his original I think, form I think that's in the finale I think that's that one of the, the first actual? yeah one okay. of the first scenes of part 18 um so I I don't know I don't think we're we're, we're running out of time so I don't think we're gonna have enough time to go through the entire plot synopsis of every episode so let's try to to segue into the the links to fire walk with me and then right into the finale okay well a little bit before we get started with that i guess it kind of uh links up to the original show um one of the things that was always a big theory that something that i kind of thought of whenever he first shot up showed up is uh richard horn and who exactly he is and uh, we learn as we go through at one specific point that that is the product of rape of by Evil Cooper with Audrey Horn. Well, it's not explicitly stated. Well, it's not, but, but we, we, we have the infer. point where after um, there is the whole arm wrestling scene in like the next episode, Cooper sends uh, his son alleged son to go to this part where he basically gets like electrocuted and evaporated like right there. And... Evil Cooper is like watching on, and then at the end he says like "goodbye, son" or something like that to that yeah. effect. So it kind of confirms that. But meanwhile, Audrey was apparently in this coma the whole time, and we have a uh, the doctor come back on, um, and through he kind Skype. of says, "Yeah, through Skype." Um, which quickly we should also just talk about how like amazing it is that David Lynch was able to get so many performers that who are no longer with us. In this show, I mean, of course, we talked a little bit about Harry Dean Stanton and Miguel Ferrer, but there are some scenes with the log lady that every time where she pops up, I was almost on the verge of tears just because you can tell like she she genuinely is dying of cancer in these scenes. And now she has died of cancer and it just makes it so hard to watch these scenes because you can tell she's on the verge of crying and it just it gets me so choked up just watching her i'm glad that they were able to shoot that stuff with her because it it her last scene man like all the all of her scenes are just her talking on the phone with hawk Mm -hmm. and you know they probably shot that in a day yeah and they he splits them up throughout several episodes and like each time she pops up a little bit more is revealed as to like the whole Laura Palmer mystery and this woman like she <laughs> there there is this this meta line that is crossed like almost like a fourth wall break because she is literally talking about dying like mm. at the very end yeah, she of says, her I'm, last scene I'm dying hawk yeah and like she she really died so she is addressing the show um in so many ways she's addressing us the viewers in in you know, in a very meta way. And 
I think the that whole concept of that line being broken really, really leads into some of the themes that are presented in the finale with this alternate reality with with who is the dreamer and the whole concept of you know how how are we perceiving this as viewers and as a quote-unquote tv show and how is how does it exist in the reality of twin peaks and in the reality of our world there's so much overlap here that i really want to get into and and discuss so do you uh I, I, we can we can keep going back and and discussing some of these um uh characters like evil cooper and sarah palmer and audrey and diane um but i really want to get to some of these core concepts of judy and the white and black lodge and bob and the themes of time and reality dreams and duality i mean i brought up the whole concept of reality at the beginning but it really takes on a whole nother meaning when in the end of the show diane and cooper drive into what appears to be a rift in space yeah a portal to another place like what is this place i mean there is reason to believe that it is a version of the reality that we live in, which is really crazy. It's not exactly that, Mm. but it is some sort of other place that doesn't really uh, hold any of the characteristics of the original Twin Peaks that we have seen. Mm. Now, uh, technically, I want to say this series has two endings. Episode 17 you know, wraps up everything. And I think, I think it could have ended on that with, um, Laura Palmer disappearing in the woods. You hear her scream. And I think it could have ended with just agent Cooper being like lost in the woods. And it fades to that, uh, that song by, I think Julie Cruz or Christy, whatever her name is from, uh, the show and fire walk with me. Mm-hmm. I think if it had ended there, yeah, it still would have been frustrating as hell, but I think it would have been, kind of perfect and then episode 18 i've warmed up to it now but there's still a lot of things in it that i'm not a fan of like that scene where like diane and cooper are having sex like that was really that was really kind of like i i didn't like that scene she's like covering his face okay um so i have some thoughts on that that whole scene uh specifically because i remember colin whenever we we watched episode 18 we didn't watch it together but we watched it at the same time and immediately after we had to talk on the phone for hours and you were legitimately angry about the yeah i was i was pissed yeah i wasn't as pissed i was more so i mean i i think that episode 17 is kind of like one of those episode 17 is what you want from a finale and episode 18 is what David Lynch is going to deliver to you. I since then I've been I've thought about it. There was like a solid week where I was pretty much thinking about the finale like nonstop what everything meant and it basically got to this point where I was thinking about it with so in episode 18 we have um we have Cooper and Diane crossing, going through what's known as the crossover, where they essentially go into another dimension. Um, and in this reality, they are they have that sex scene, and I think it's one of those situations where it's kind of like, even though this is now the real good Cooper, 
she still was raped by a person who looks just like this. And that's why she covers up his face and everything. Cause it's one of those things where it's like, she can't get past this whole idea of this is the face of the man who raped me. Even if it is technically the good Cooper, like it's just one of those situations. That's why she leaves is that it's, never going to be like the same type of relationship with them it's like they're trying to i just didn't like the way it was paced like it was just too long and it i I don't know but that's a whole show uncomfortable i love that point for that because it is the most unsettling sex thing that sex scene that i've ever seen in film or tv that you really are just uncomfortable the whole time and you want it to end and it seems like it's going on for forever in reality the it's only like a minute or two long, but it feels like forever just because it's so uncomfortable watching it. And then we have that next day they wake up and she basically writes him a letter saying like, I can't do this. I'm leaving, but it's with two different names. And that's where we starting to get into this idea of, okay, what the exactly is going on here? Where, why, is Diane not calling herself Diane? She calls herself Linda, and I think she says Richard. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where you're like, I don't really know what's going on. Then we have from there, they wake up, and obviously something has gone wrong over the night um, because he wakes up, and the car that he arrived in at this hotel at nighttime is different from the car that's there the next day. And it's a different hotel. Different hotel. And now he wakes up and he's in this town called Odessa, Texas. So he wakes up and he drives into town to see Judy's, like a cafe, a coffee cafe. It's when she he walks into there. And I think that that diner scene, if anything, I thought that was a little bit too long just because we don't even have Cheryl Flynn in that exact scene. It's more so I feel like that scene is there to establish that we are for sure watching the good Cooper. We see him step in whenever there's some customers harassing one of the waitresses there. Um, and the waitress later uh, tells her that the tells Cooper that there is another waitress there who works there, but she's not in today. So Cooper goes and he finds this woman whose name is Carrie, but looks identical to Laura Palmer. And that's whenever we have this whole journey that Cooper says, I have to take you back to your mother who you haven't seen in 25 years. And the reason why I've warmed up to this ending is because for one in episode 17, uh, we see something that's one of the coolest effects I've ever seen anything where they use footage from fire walk with me and repurpose it into having Cooper there like in the story, like it's almost one of those things where Laura Palmer and Firewalk with Me looks towards the woods and screams. Like I don't know how they yeah. could have done that unless it was something that they meticulously planned out that Cooper was going to be standing there. I was I was absolutely yeah, that, mind blown. That yeah, like I just I can't. And then we have the scenes of old Cooper walking with her in the woods, like holding her hand, and then eventually she just disappears. And the way that I kind of took that as is. Cooper was able to go back in time and prevent Laura Palmer from ever being murdered. What happened was he went there and basically pulled Laura into the woods. She never came back. She basically ran away from home. So she was never actually murdered, but she disappeared from town. She ran away from home because she still had these horrible parents who were... Her father was still raping her. Like Her mother was still kind of 
nonchalant about all this and like either and was going unaware or yeah she was going crazy or just like not stepping in in any way and now we later learned she was also possessed but we have her just running away from all of these problems so she's never actually murdered i mean we even get the shots of the pilot that are in uh episode 17 where we see jack nance going out on the shore and there's no body there. He just goes on fishing with his day. That like blew my mind, happened. too. Yeah, like, that's one of those things that <laughs> I wonder, like, they had to have shot, just a, just taken a shot of Jack Nance fishing, because Jack yeah. Nance is also, he's no longer with us. Yeah. We see a shot of Jack Nance fishing, which is something that never actually happens in the original pilot. Like, I don't... Yeah. I don't. Yeah, he doesn't fish. Yeah, like yeah, because he sees a fucking dead body on his. Well, there <laughs> could there. be some some digital trickery in there because the the sequence of um, Cooper holding Laura's hand and leading her through the woods, like there's definitely digital trickery. In oh there yeah, with, absolutely. With a wig absolutely. and with de aging her, and the the way it's shot with the black and white and like sort of out of focus, it, it really sells the effect. That's why you never yeah, you always I, buy I, into. I thought it was very well done. Mm. You know, because I probably was like. Uh, Cheryl Lee, just under heavy makeup and lighting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it definitely was, but it, you totally buy it. Um, but yeah, so the the one thing I I want to get to um with this whole finale is particularly part eighteen. You know, Colin, you're you're talking about a lot of it being very deliberately paced and just like dragging on and not really um hitting you with something big like the like the previous episode. You know. I yeah. think that's what you're saying with it being two finales. The part 17, you get that that big bang of an episode that really just wows you. And it ties up loose ends. I mean, yeah. even the episode before that, we have... Um, Cooper coming back to life. We have Cooper coming back to life. And we have... Uh, the, Which I cheered. We have the, the yeah, actual... That was, a, that was a triumph. We yeah. have Big Ed and Norma finally ending up together after all these years. Like, it's all these, like, it's classic TV, like, oh, we're going to tie up all yeah. the loose ends nice and neat. And then episode 18 comes in there, and it's David Lynch is just like, nope, I'm going to give you more questions than you ever thought that you had yeah. going into this. And, you know, throughout the whole show, we've had a lot of sequences that don't amount to anything, that play out long and, and just kind of drawn out. You know, we there's a scene of a guy sweeping the floor at the Bang Bang Bar for yes, like yeah. <laughs> what feels like ten minutes. So, <laughs> so it, it the show does have a lot of this throughout, but it's not until part eighteen that we get this long, long scene of uh, Cooper and Laura Palmer driving to Twin Peaks, and God, it feels like it's just going on forever. And you're looking at the time and you're like, oh, my God, there's only five minutes left in this finale. Like, do something. (laughs) And that's what Lynch is trying to do. He wants us to be frustrated. He wants us to get to to feel like the episode needs to get to something else, because I, I, I really do feel that that he just wants to drive home this point about nostalgia and comfort and feeling like you're satisfied with the entertainment that you're consuming. He wants you to be unsettled and he wants you to be just angry because that's the type of art that he thrives in. You know, mm-hmm. he's never really made anything that gives you comfort and satisfaction and and any sort of joy. 
at least in my opinion. I think that what he's always trying to do is challenge you and make you feel things that you're not necessarily comfortable and okay with. And everything that happens in part 18 just could really contextualizes the, the frustration of watching this show and trying so hard to like piece things together and figure out all these mysteries and put together all these clues. Like he, he's really saying like, look, all of this time that you're investing into trying to figure this shit out, like go fuck yourself. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. It's like a sick joke. Really? <laughs> Well, the ending, you know, it was it was scary, dude, like watching like the live premiere and then having that be like the end of the show. Like I like I felt betrayed and like confused and like alone. It was like it was like going through a breakup. (laughs) No, I mean, the ending is truly haunting. Just how we get there. We used to hear just that classic Laura Palmer scream, which is just the like. Sherilyn Flynn has the best scream of all time. Like and it's, it's her best. That's the best. That scream. is the best. scream. And then meanwhile, we hear her mother, Sarah Palmer in the background saying, Laura, Laura. Yeah. And from, like, the, from the pilot. episode. Yeah, yeah. Like we get that. And then it's just so haunting. And the fact that after that, we cut to an image of Laura whispering something in Cooper's ear that we're never going to know never. what it is. That is just, that's David Lynch at his best. So and, now now that you talk about that very final moment, I want to get your guys' takes on the the whole um what's her name? Monica uh, um Monica Belushi. Belushi. Yeah, Monica Belushi. Who is the dreamer? What do you guys think about this question, this whole concept? Because I think this is very, very important to how you interpret this show and what you take away from it. The this so, question. So I've, I've texted Hunter a few times and like in the middle of the night and I'll be like, dude, I'm pretty sure Twin Peaks has like altered my perception of reality. <laughs> Which it's really true that Twin Peaks can do that, that yeah. you kind of wonder through everything else. Like I, I think David Lynch is like onto something. I know he does a lot of like meditating and stuff like that. So like it makes me think like whenever I wake up and I remember a dream – you know, I'm just like, you know, is this stuff like that's like actually happening just like in some other place and like some other time? Yeah. So I I don't know, like, who is the dreamer? I don't think it is like any specific person. I guess it's just like everyone. It's it's kind of David everyone Lynch dreams. is the dreamer. Yeah. But also, I mean, you could there are theories out there that it says actually all, everything we're seeing is the dream of Audrey Horn. We have that one scene in a uh, part 16, I believe it is where Audrey finally goes to the, to the bang, bang bar. And she, we have Audrey's dance come in and then finally a fight breaks out and she just like collapses to the ground screaming. And then just the flash to her finally opening up her eyes and just this white room that there's an assumption to be made that maybe she's been in a coma for all of these years. And that what we're seeing is like, basically kind of a figment of her imagination i don't necessarily ascribe to that uh, theory but i think that there is something to that that david lynch everything he does is extremely purposeful and that that that's kind of the last image that we have for that episode i think is important i think that the fact that we're having this conversation so long after this finale and that we've had 
I mean, for you guys, you've had so much time to really think about it and and mull over it. Yeah, I mean, the last episode came out uh, in September. September yeah. yeah, and I've had I've had about a month, and this is something that uh, this is why I love this show is the fact that you can really just keep thinking about it and keep getting deeper and deeper into it, and you get more out of it when you discuss it and when you um, throw around the different interpretations of it, because. Uh, at, at as a show as a tv show it's like not very effective as like entertainment that's not what it is it's it's really inadequate to call this like a tv show you know it's not it feels like, like you're doing it in injustice exactly it's it's something else entirely again and you know the, this whole question of like who is the dreamer is something that i keep coming back to because there's no right answer and whatever answer that you come up with lynch is going to tell you that you're correct because there's enough in the show to find any interpretation that you want i don't really like the audrey one Mm-mm. uh and i think colin yeah, I, I don't like that either. i don't either i just i thought i would bring yeah. it up as one of the the, theory, the many theories that are out there and, and i think colin with what you're saying are you you're not necessarily saying that Lynch is the dreamer. You're saying more that we are the dreamer, the audience, yeah. the viewer is the dreamer. That's more yeah, of what you're saying. Exactly. Cause it's, you know, it's Monica Belushi who is a real actress, you know? Yeah. So it's playing like, herself. I'm going to yeah. go meta and say that like, it's literally Monica Belushi just talking to the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, this, there's this whole idea. I mean, Twin Peaks isn't the first show or, or piece of art or anything or the last to, to tap into this idea of dreams or going into another place, whether you're sleeping or meditating. This is something that you can trace back to even like native tribes and shit. Like they, there's always been this inkling of like going somewhere else to some other plane where something is sort of off comparing it to our reality. That's something that we can all relate to. And, and Lynch, again, I think you're right with Colin with, with saying that he is tapping into something greater because the, I think that's what makes this such an interesting piece of art that he is saying something about reality and dreams that really makes us think. And to me, the answer to the question, who is the dreamer? I, at first I wanted to say it was Laura Palmer. And at first I wanted to think that maybe the things that are set up in fire walk with me are leading to this being her dream and all happening in her head. And that at the end of the show, she just wakes up to her being in the same life of abuse and drug addiction and heartbreak that, you know, this is just her dream. I thought that that was what was happening, but I think that that's a very shallow interpretation of the show. Then I thought maybe it's Cooper's dream. Maybe he is perpetually in the lodge, always in some version of reality, always trying to save Laura Palmer. Um, And I kind of like that one a little better because of Kyle McLaughlin's performance and because of all the weird shit that happens with Evil Coop and with Dougie and with his performance in the final episode. I think the way he plays Cooper in that final hour has really stuck with me because he's not quite evil Coop. He's not quite good Coop. He's mm. not quite Dougie. He's 
not really Richard either. It's like you're seeing all these different faces to his performance that it's like sometimes he's a little bit of good coop, sometimes he's a little bit of of bad and and or even Dougie with like being expressionless and mm-hmm. wordless. Uh I think that really just ties back to the point that I was making at the beginning of the pod of this really being a a, a show about the inner struggle within ourselves of who we choose to be and who we want ourselves to be because Coop is so dead set on saving Laura Palmer's life. Like he is risking everything. He is making this mission the most important thing because, you know, going back to part eight, we see the firemen, uh, basically creating the the goodness of of a spirit of an entity that is laura palmer she is so important to this whole story that cooper knows how important it is to to save her um but he doesn't save her he is never able to save her he will never he perpetually for infinity be unsuccessful in saving her it it's you were going back to episode eight which was actually about what, exactly what i was about to do because one of my interpretations from episode eight is that the fireman realizes like that uh, Judy has given birth to this evil entity, Bob. And the only way that he can prevent um, Bob from essentially taking over is that he has to create Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer is what brings Cooper to Twin Peaks. That is what Dale Cooper is going to be the thing that eventually defeats Bob. Therefore, Laura Palmer has to be sacrificed. That's, I think, what one of the fundamental flaws in what Cooper is trying to do in saving Laura Palmer is that he, I understand he wants to save Laura Palmer, but that's one of the things that is able, like, without Laura Palmer, he would never be able to defeat Bob. Yeah, and I, I think that adds a whole nother layer, layer to the story because in the original show, it really seemed like what, what um, Lynch was trying to say is that anybody could be Laura. Any innocent mm. little girl could be the subject of this horrible, horrible life of abuse and and just tragedy and, and death. But it becomes something else entirely with her that, being this She's like symbol. kind of Yeah, she's kind of like a Jesus Christ character. Yeah. <laughs> like she's here to like sacrifice herself for the betterment of the world. Yeah. Perpetually sacrificing herself. Yeah. Because if Cooper is never able to save her, then she is always forever meant to just fall into this trap of, of death and and destruction. It's actually really sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really <laughs> so, heartbreaking. So uh, with the end of 18, like, what do you think, like, happened? Like, you hear Laura scream. Because I, I kind of have, like, an idea that I think is kind of valid for, like, what happened. What do you think? Uh, so basically, he brings this woman to Laura Palmer's house and then, you know, we hear Laura, she screams. So it's like, what is that like? Everything is kind of coming full circle. Uh, she remembers everything that happened with Laura Palmer. And like, I've heard like theories that like they're in this parallel universe that Judy created. And then once like uh, it comes full circle, like everything just like ceased to exist. And that's the end of the show. Cause the Cause lights, the, light, the lights go lights, out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The lights go out and there's kind of like this, like this, like shutting down noise. So like, mm-hmm. is that it? That's just the end. Like the universe kind of like imploded and like, it, like everyone's gone. Itself. Okay. Um, so 
my kind of interpretation of the last two episodes is I think that Judy is watching Cooper save Laura Palmer in episode 17. And this like kind of makes this entity like very angry about all this. So Judy traps Cooper um, in episode 18 in this kind of alternate reality where all these things occur basically. And then that's why we hear the scream at the end is because Judy has trapped Cooper in this other universe. That's why he says, what year is this? Like, it's one of those things where he has no idea what exact timeline he's in. He just thought that he was saving Laura Palmer and her life. But what Judy did was she did set up this parallel universe. And then whenever him and Laura Palmer realize what's going on, that's when the universe kind of collapses on itself. And then they're both just kind of entities in the lodge at this point. I, I also find it hilarious how the last line of the show is, what year is this? And that's something that you're expecting to hear from Cooper in literally, like, the first, like, ten minutes of, yeah. of, of the show, yeah. you know? But yeah. nope, it's it's the last one. Maybe what happens at the end is a loop is created. Maybe it's not necessarily that it was all a dream and that Laura is the dreamer. Maybe what happens is that the whole thing just starts right back up again where it started. That she wakes up, and it's not that it's a dream. It's just that the 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 whole story is just happening again. They, they're just in like a constant again. loop of this happening over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the chances? You know, David Lynch. He's a he's a pretty old guy. What are the chances? Like, do you think we'll ever get anything Twin Peaks related again? Okay, I'm going to be honest. Like, I think, I mean, I would still be happy about it if it came out, but I'm honestly, I'm really satisfied with this ending. If we don't get another episode of Twin Peaks, I'm happy with where this ends. Because, like you said, it does feel, even if it isn't extremely satisfying, I think that it is the best possible ending that Twin Peaks could have. I I would love more Twin Peaks because this whole um the the finale opens up so many different oh, it, 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 it opens the Pandora's box with like this whole concept of alternate realities and it may be even jumping into our reality and like us being the dreamer. Uh I love that. I'd love that, you know, this could be a commentary on our own relationship to how we consume TV and how we watch media and, and television and entertainment like that is something really, really interesting. So if we do get more Twin Peaks, I feel like I would prefer something that's not 18 hours and maybe more condensed. Uh, I would love it if it was another 18 hours directed by um, Lynch, but I just don't see that happening. Uh, just because this show wasn't really a big hit, it wasn't that much of a commercial success. But I mean, nothing that David Lynch ever really does is like a big commercial right. success. Like, I don't think that he's in it for money at this point. Like, he's that's not really a worry for him. And I mean, Showtime has already said, like, he's welcome to come back at any point. Um, yeah, like, I will you say gotta think of it from Showtime's perspective. Like, it's pretty unique that out of all the premium networks and like streaming services, whatever, like this is something really special that they can brand, you know, is this 18 hour, you know, epic experimental odyssey. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, 
Brought another, to Showtime. <laughs> another thing that I just wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet, we've kind of talked a little bit about Sarah Palmer, but one of the things that I love most about The Return is that the original show kind of sets her up as like kind of a plain character who's just going along with the abuse committed by Leland. And what we learn in The Return is that Sarah Palmer is basically being possessed by Judy, which is a much more evil entity than even Bob, which is something that I never really could have imagined going into this whole series that really in reality, like Sarah Palmer is the truly evil one. We have that one scene in um, episode 15, 16, something like that, where somebody is hitting on her in the bar and she takes off her face and it's yeah, one of the most awesome. haunting it's one of the most haunting images ever. You just get that little smile and then like a thing <laughs> comes out and rips the dude's fucking throat out. Oh my god. Like it is I whenever I saw that I was like, holy fuck. And I had to like keep rewinding it and watching <laughs> it because it was just so haunting and unnerving. Like we've never seen anything quite like that in Twin Peaks where somebody literally just takes their fucking face off. I in mean public. We, we see Judy inside that void you know yes, that yeah. is Judy's that was smile. the confirmation that that is judy yeah inside so of her. so off of that that means that the other time we saw judy was when she came out of the box in new york and killed that couple that was having sex yeah that was the first time we saw judy and then we saw her again in episode eight when she's like floating through the atomic and void. then kind of gives birth to bob yeah that's that's such a cool fucking effect. Yeah. It looked amazing. I, I, I love... Uh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I love that scene with the box, too, in the very first uh, part. Yes. Because at first, like, the first 30 minutes, I'm like, okay, this is kind of boring. Nothing's happening. But then that scene happened, and I was just like, oh, yes. I'm like, I was <laughs> totally invested because it was, you know, it was just creepy. The way it, like, moved, and it had no face and everything, so... Yeah, it was a it was a good way to get you you know hooked. And uh, I mean, another thing, another character that's just plays like a minor role in the original show that I'm so happy that even post mortem they fleshed his character out as Major Briggs. Major Briggs goes on to have a huge role in this story uh, that yeah, it's telling. Right. Like his floating head, his floating head. <laughs> but not only that, just you learn. I mean, I know that the books go more into detail about the exact work that he was doing, but just you get it kind of peppered in just a little bit in the original show that he's working on these kind of like top secret things that he's working with Cooper at one point. But now we learn that, I mean, he's, his organization was working to find this connection to the lodges and he goes on to just be, he's also one of the people who's of the most pure soul that he can go to the white lodge, which only, let's see, Briggs, Andy, and Cooper are the only three humans that we ever see enter yeah. the White Lodge. All right. Well, we should wrap it up, but let's uh, let's give some final thoughts. I really enjoyed the show. Um, I think, you know, we can't really talk about it in the um, – normal sense the conventional sense of talking about tv or entertainment or movies or anything like that because it's something really unique and special um and it really blossoms into something else when you're able to have discussions like this and bounce your ideas off of other people and their interpretations i think that's what art should be i think that's what makes this such a special work of art that it resonates 
with everyone differently and that we can all have our own interpretations and feel comfortable interpreting it all in different ways because Lynch has given us so much to chew on. It's beautifully rendered and shot and it really doesn't feel like anything else out there. It's wholly original and unique. And I think it's going to much like the first Twin Peaks in, in, in the old days, like it's going to change everything. I think people are going to look to the return and, try to emulate it and be inspired by it and hopefully it inspires a whole new generation of of creativity that really goes for new bold and exciting ideas that that make you think and that challenge you and i i really appreciate it for that even though it's not like the most entertaining piece of media in in the conventional sense and it drags a little bit but that's what lynch is trying to do i think the show pays off the the moments that really soar and give you that like rush of satisfaction are because it just took its time and wasn't afraid to let things like go on and breathe and just we were so um People have gotten to the point where we just don't have attention spans anymore and we're so thirsty for like quick release and quick satisfaction that it's really nice to get something that isn't trying to like shove some action in your face every six seconds. It it really felt felt good to, to be challenged to just sit there and like not have anything big happen. And, and let these episodes just just breathe and go on with the exact deliberate pace that that Lynch wanted. I think the return deserves all the praise. I wish that more people had seen it. Um, it got no Emmy award love, which I wasn't really yeah. expecting. But it's not was, a populist. Oh, thing, absolutely so. not. And it's not a show that, like we've talked about before, it's not a show for everybody. That being said, like. I think it's safe to say that I think Twin Peaks is my favorite television show of all time. It almost feels like a disgrace, disservice to even call it a TV show because, like I said, it really is a piece of art that's meant to challenge you. David Lynch, like uh, I, I think that he's trying to do something completely different in that he is completely abolishing the old ways of having a set structure for each episode. That's not how this is told. It's told more like an 18-hour movie than it is anything else. But even then, it's not told like a movie structure either. Like, it's really uniquely its own thing that you're spending time with each of these characters, and he leaves it up to the audience. He makes you do the work for yourself to kind of put the pieces together, which is something that not enough filmmakers do. Everybody wants to have everything explained to you, and we need all these exposition dumps in film and TV telling you exactly what is going on. And David Lynch just says, like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. You're If you're watching this, then you're smart enough to kind of put it together for yourself, or you're smart enough to be able to draw multiple conclusions from this. Colin, some final thoughts? Uh, well, Twin Peaks is basically, it, it's just one of my favorite things in general ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just I'm just really grateful to, you know, have discovered something that was just so, you know, unique and, you know, found so, like, captivating and, you know, and moving, too. And, um, 
I don't know. <laughs> I, fuck, I don't really know what else do you, to say. Do you cause... find yourself rewatching The Return uh, in its entirety? I mean, I've rewatched most of it. Uh, it's going to need to take some time, though. I would be curious just to go back and watch episode 17, but I don't. Th- it, it doesn't have the rewatchability factor as the original show, but that's not really going against it. Uh, yeah, I don't really take that as a fault because, like, and even still, like, there are slower episodes and more high-paced episodes like any other television show. And, like, like I said earlier, like, last night I just rewatched episode 8 just to refresh myself and how much of a masterpiece of art that whole thing is. Just those scenes of basically watching the Big Bang happen. Yeah. Like, it's just unlike anything else. And I feel like I'm a, I can always go back through and rewatch the whole season or I can just, like, pick apart just, like, I want to watch eight and 14 and I want to watch the finales. Like there's like, it's one of those shows that you can do that. You can kind of, once you've seen the whole thing, you can skip around a little Every bit. episode is like a little cocktail. Yeah, exactly. Lynch has prepared for you peppered in little, and little each, things, and details. we'll have like we talked about earlier with Matthew Lillard's character. He's in the first episode and he doesn't come back until like what episode nine, 10. And then he just dies. Yeah. And then he just dies. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny. I forgot to mention it earlier, but uh, there's an interview with Matthew Lillard on The Watch where he kind of talks about the whole process of being in a David Lynch film just because he shot all of this stuff in like a, f- a handful of days and he had wa- was watching the show live not knowing the story of what was going on. <laughs> and he would even have people like people in his family be like, all right, yeah, when are you coming back on? And he'd be like, I have no idea. I have, I could, it could be next episode. It could be 10 episodes Never. from now. I literally have no idea. <laughs> But um, yeah, I'm with you, Hunter. Twin Peaks. It's a, uh, it's like my favorite show ever, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Easily. It's just. I don't know. I wanna. I wanna tear up. <laughs> it was. It was there for me. Uh, Twin I, Peaks. I, I do know, agree I with think, what you. I think Agent Cooper was like. You know, he's a real positive role model and person to kind of look up to. And uh, I think even like times at work. Or in my day-to-day life, I try to be more like Dale Cooper. (laughs) I think that you are right, though, that, like, it really has kind of altered my perception of reality. Like, I will just have moments where I just start thinking about things. I've, like, I've been having, like, this is a weird thing. I've been having, like, really vivid dreams the whole past, like, week or so. Basically, since we started discussing that we were going to do this bonus episode of the podcast, I've been having really vivid dreams. And I've been thinking through my dreams and, like, what exactly do they mean? Like, what am I thinking of whenever I dream? And this is this whole like Freudian concept that Lynch explores unlike anybody else. Yeah. I I've kind of had a a similar experience um, (laughs) with whenever my dreams recur and I dream about like, maybe a, a similar location multiple times or like similar characters. Try and figure out what exactly am I thinking about? What is the importance yeah. of this to me? Why do I keep going back to the same place night after night? Like what is, what is it about my subconscious that keeps me going back to this? And I think that Lynch is, is <laughs> visualizing that and conceptualizing that in his own way that makes this one of the greatest works of art of all time. I mean, I have enjoyed shows more than this. Like I love Breaking Bad and The Leftovers and um, even Game of Thrones for all it is. Like, but that's entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's like TV as TV. And Lynch isn't preoccupied in creating that. You know, he's he's an artist. He's a painter. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, I guess that does it for this bonus episode. Thank you so much, Colin, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Colin. Thanks for uh, calling. Colin called in for this one. <laughs> oh, ha, ha. Call this segment. No, thanks for uh, having me on so I could, uh, you know, talk some Twin Peaks. Where can Anything we find your stuff? Uh, well, I, I'm still not on Twitter, but uh, if you just want to add me on Facebook, you know, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll accept that friend request. Send me a few messages, whatnot. But uh, if you want to check out some uh, other videos that, I've done just me rambling on. You can check out Colin After Hours on YouTube. And then, of course, uh, the Snyder Colin podcast, which we do weekly, is up and running. That's also on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, even right here on YouTube. So, yeah, yeah. check that out. Also, uh, check out some of the uh, short films that Colin and I have made together. Those are also on uh, YouTube. Ghost Car. Yeah, we, we, we did pl- make a uh, Twin Peaks inspired miniseries. Yeah, I, I actually I recommend to the listeners if you've gotten this far and you're a fan of Twin Peaks, check out our uh, miniseries that we made called Viewpoint Motive. Definitely has some Twin Peaks inspiration in there. Um, I still think it's like pretty. It's different enough from Twin Peaks that's not a direct ripoff of it. But <laughs> <laughs> I I just gotta plug Viewpoint Motive. Cool. All right. Well, Hunter, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hunt Mobley. Um, I I actually I retweet some some uh, Twin Peaks memes some Kyle and such. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin actually has a great Twitter, by the way. I don't know if you've ever followed his Twitter, but he's basically like a dad. Yeah. Um, along with Mark Frost, who uh, I forgot to mention earlier, but Dr. Jacoby is basically Mark Frost's Twitter account. <laughs> As yeah, far as just, it totally is. yeah, like he's basically just this like super like liberal kind of voice, radio voice. Yeah, he's um, woke. Yeah, he's <laughs> definitely <laughs> woke. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Hunt Mobley. Uh, go ahead and uh hit that subscribe bot subscribe button to uh check out all of our podcasts that we're doing. Yeah, yeah, you know this was we bought a mic. Our regularly scheduled programming includes uh this guy named Drew. Drew? Yeah, he's not woke enough to watch Twin yeah. Peaks, so he wasn't invited on this episode. Drew is but... not the dreamer. He, he's so <laughs> immature. That what if Drew? Twin Peaks is brought up, he makes like a he like blows <laughs> a raspberry. Like what is he like four or something? Four or five? He's just a TV kid. <laughs> but <laughs> he's a true TV kid. And... Yeah. Well, you think he watched Twin Peaks for being a TV kid. <laughs> you can uh, you can find more episodes of uh, we where, bought a where mic. Are you, where are you at on the internet? Uh, oh, well, I'm ca- at Caldernist on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I've been on that Oscars grind right now because we're leading up to the Oscars. So yep. pretty excited about that. And uh, yeah, you can email the show at webottomic at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of Twin Peaks, your own interpretations of the ending and all that. Let us know if you think Twin Peaks just like sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. Let us know if it's the worst garbage you've ever seen. If you have been like hate listening to this the whole time, <laughs> just let us know about that. Check out uh, check out our Facebook page, uh, Instagram at We Bought a Mic, and yeah, hopefully we'll have you on again soon, Colin. This this went pretty well, so maybe you and Snyder. I mean, he's never gonna watch Twin Peaks, but if anything, I think he's I think he's checked out a few episodes, and I think he just wasn't really it's not all his that thing. interested. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, it's not for everyone, like we've said, but yeah, all right. Well, thank you so much for this great discussion, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs>